Hello, I'm Howard, and welcome to the 9320 Friday Show, the show that would like to take a moment for us all to be standing to honour and celebrate King Charles. Uh, that's my next-door neighbour's Spaniel, who's 12 years old today, so happy birthday, Bouncer. Uh, on today's show, we'll be looking back at the West Ham win, as City edge close to, to, to delivering the final fatal blow to English football, previewing the game versus Leeds, and the return of Sam Allardyce with a pint of wine at our sides. Uh, Talking transfers, Arsenal's big weekend game and more. So, a lot to get through as always. To do so, I'd like to be joined by Asan and George. Good morning, chaps. Uh, good morning, Asan. How are you? Morning, mate. Uh, I'm really good. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. It's Friday. Got through I love a Friday. Week. Yeah. Looking forward to the weekend. I am. My friend Dave is coming over to spend some time with us. So, uh, see you, Dave. Hang out for the weekend. It'll be lovely. Brilliant. Uh, Rumour that's another touristy American taking up a ticket at the ground this weekend. Uh, Sam, the American citizens in town. So uh, I've heard that rumour. Yeah. Is he, is he going dis- to is he going to disguise himself as as a stop forty and <laughs> from Stockport to to not be outed? Remember Kevin and Perry when uh, absolutely <laughs> pretended to be a man. <laughs> was, I don't know. I don't know if Sam's got a moustache, but he's just. Definitely, uh, yeah, get a marker and put one on and do the mank accent, yeah, as he bounds into the ground. So, yeah, hopefully I'll get to meet him this weekend at some point, so it should be nice. Uh, George, good morning, how are you? Good morning, Howard. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Are you looking forward to the weekend? I am, yeah. Um, although, um, after the match on Saturday, I'm getting a train to uh, my girlfriend's parents who live in Yorkshire and are Leeds fans, so... Uh, We'll see uh, how that goes down because one of us could be in a in a, a bit of a sour mood after the match. <laughs> yeah, we be sharing the train with them then as well. No, no, they'll be there. So I'm just getting the train after the match, after walk, walking back into town and getting the train straight from there. So uh, yeah, it'll be an eventful one, I'm sure. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, we've got we have got a lot to talk about. Uh, I didn't put this in the agenda, but it is tradition and all that. We do. 10 now to start our weekly segment, having a quick laugh at United. Uh, <laughs> really kinder than to keep playing on Thursday nights to make this segment a lot easier. Uh, so if you'd like to have a little chuckle for a few seconds, knock yourself out. Uh, yeah, I can put a laughter track in if you want. So. <laughs> you don't need to put a laughter track in. We can just, we can just chuckle away. The latest penalty since United scored the penalty in the same ground after the full-time whistle uh, a good couple of years ago. So, yeah, that was fun. Uh, just very quickly, <laughs> once you've uh, settled down from having a chuckle. Hey, Sam, start with you. How, truthfully, take uh, sentiment or tinted spectacles off. I, you know, I think United have got a competent manager now. How far away are they, truthfully, from competing with City? Years players, whatever, a million miles miles, or there. miles, miles, miles away, just miles away. I think Ten Hag's a good coach. I don't think he's anywhere near Guardiola levels. I'm not even convinced that he's Jurgen Klopp levels. Um, I think they've got to buy a lot of players. I think they've still got a lot of dross. Don't trust their recruitment department. Don't trust the fellas that are selling the club. Don't trust the fellas that might buy the club. It's a perfect storm for another decade of mediocrity, if you ask me. Mm. George, do you agree? Yeah, I think I think they're way off it. And I saw somebody, I don't know who it was, tweet um, last night, 
imagine if um, they hadn't got that dodgy uh, Bruno goal against us at Old Trafford and they didn't have that three points. It would, they'd actually be in a precarious mm. situation right now when they should have wrapped up the top four ages ago. I think they'll probably still get the top four, but even if they do, I don't think they're going to be a threat to us for, yeah, two, three years at least. Yeah, West Ham away, seven o'clock on Sunday. Is that a new time for a football match? I don't know. But I guess, yeah, I guess the pressure's on them a bit. I can't see them throwing away that top four because, as you say, I think they've just got enough points in the bag already, to be honest, with a couple of winnable home games. But, yeah, it's not quite as uh, as short as I thought. Hey, Sam, if, if you had to pick fourth place, Liverpool or United? No, the Scousers aren't getting there. United no, no, will... if you get to decide your footballing god, who would you rather oh, finish uh, United. Fourth? United, yeah? definitely. Do you think you'd, be, you'd rather keep Liverpool out of the Champions definitely. League next season compared to United? Definitely. Interesting. George, do you agree? I'm not sure myself, to be honest. No, so. I think I'd have to... I th- I think I'd have to go... I'd, I'd pick Liverpool to pick them because I just think that would be so funny that if it was the capitulation from this point and they, and they didn't get it. I still, I think even if Liverpool got the Champions League, I think they need to do such an overhaul of that midfield and mm. things. I, I can't see them. I can't see them being the team they were a couple of years ago for for a bit anyway. So yeah, I, I would uh, probably pick Liverpool to to pick them. Yeah, but maybe they'd get Bellingham then. But if United finish fifth, we get to have our get to keep playing on Thursday night, so we can keep this weekly segment. So you know. <laughs> pros and cons to it both uh, right let's move on then uh, just oh, very quickly George I was going to ask you as well it was funny obviously watching Brighton beat United we have to play them is there any is it bad news that if they do well in the next couple of games if they're in contention for Europe with us having to play them in that last week yeah it, it's not a nice fixture to have midweek uh, before the last game of the season um, I've got some kind of delusional hope that Arsenal are going to drop more points and we can wrap it up earlier than that. But I, I know that's not going to probably happen. So that it'll be a real tough game there, especially if they're in the hunt for because Europa League would be massive for Brighton hmm. as well and their recruitment. And I think it could probably persuade Deserby to stay even if he gets offers from elsewhere. So it's going to be the I think it's probably our trickiest fixture left more so than the Brentford away I'd say mm. well they've, they've got Arsenal as well so I guess the flip side is they could nail down Europe by that last week yeah hopefully so yeah I keep forgetting that Arsenal have got Newcastle and then Brighton so yeah that's two really mm. tricky games for them yeah anyway yeah th- anyway I think either way they'd be in contention going into that last week so if you're going to gamble, and this is just me obviously overthinking every single fixture we've got because that's what I do at the end of the season. I know a lot of fans do it as well. I think the, what you'd want to hope is, yeah, they keep playing well and that they've actually nailed it down by the last week and thus there isn't that much at stake for them at all. So, But it'd probably be a tough match either way, as it will be for Arsenal. All right, Asan, before we look back at West Ham and preview obviously this weekend's game, you've done a market podcast this morning yes and i hear it was an epic one it was nearly an hour and a half long in fact it was an hour and a half long so by the time people listen to this yeah by the time people listen to this the market one will be out that's coming out 
second of our three shows today and the Friday show last. Uh, but just, I thought it's worth us spending five minutes just to run through uh, what you discussed during the show. Did you decide on anything? Did you have uh, strong views on what you want in the summer? For sure. I mean, <clears throat> I think for anybody who isn't signed up to the 9320 player, that's what the market podcast will be on. So, uh, yeah, if you're into your transfers, maybe go and check out the first 15 minutes because the preview will be out somewhere on our timeline. But yeah, I mean, we kind of, we went through what City would need to do in terms of ins and outs, particularly with the context of the Bellingham news from this week that uh, he has seemingly chosen Real Madrid. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the the big thing is how City deal with Gundogan and Bernardo Silva's potential exits and how much work that would leave us to do if both of them did go and I think actually the big conclusion that me and Lloyd came to was that a lot of what happens this summer weirdly will depend upon how Guardiola and the team view Foden next season. Because if they want to move Foden centrally, then that's completely different from if they want him as the right winger. So for example, right now we've got Grealish on the left, Mares and Bernardo on the right and Foden can kind of alternate between the two. If we assume that Bernardo Silva leaves, well then that leaves us a hole both in center midfield and on the right wing. Now I think me and Lloyd both agreed that that can't, that void can't be filled by Phil alone. So you either need to commit to buying a center midfield player, uh, if not two, or you need to commit to buying a winger um, and then have Phil, play in the other position so a lot of what happens will will uh depend on what happens with phil um and then we kind of went through all of the various options everything from McAllister to you know declan rice gavi mitoma like just all the names that city have been linked with and some names that city haven't been linked with either um, and we kind of had a, we had a real deep dive into the outgoings as well. We had a long chat about McAtee and where, where his future lies. Um, I didn't realize that he'd been playing in the front three for, for Sheffield United or playing mm. in a front three for Sheffield United, which, you know, led us down the path of a conversation around whether he could potentially take up one of the winger positions. So yeah, I mean, mate, it was, it was super comprehensive. I think that the best thing for people to do is go and listen to it. And sign up to the ninth three twenty player if you haven't already. Yeah, well, I think it's the ninth episode of the Market Podcast, and you only started it a couple of months ago. So yeah, and they're all absolutely on fire, every one of them. So I really enjoy it. A very popular podcast. Just uh, George, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, I'm sure. I think I said I want to pop in on this one after <laughs> as well because it's uh, it's one I've just been thinking about. Bernardo Silva. Ilkay Gundogan, always linked with Barcelona, who, to use a technical term, haven't got a pot to piss in. You can't even register some of their own players. Do you think there's actually a chance? I mean, Laporte, I don't, you know, I've got a feeling he's going. There's actually a chance neither of them leave this summer. Or are you like a San and perhaps me? Are you, are you in the situation where you probably assume that we're going to lose at least one of them in summer and got a big overhaul of that midfield to do? 
I suppose because of the way the narrative's gone, I've always thought, well, especially this last kind of six months, that we would lose at least one. But as we near, you know, the end of the season and and the transfer window, and nothing seems concrete links to any other clubs from from those two. You know, Gundo's been linked with Barca, obviously, and like I say, how they're going to afford it when Gavi's had his number taken off him and been given his old one and. And he's not fully registered and all those kind of things. I don't see how they can then be spending 200 grand a week on Gundo's wages. And they want Messi uh, back as well, don't forget. Yeah, yeah. of course. And I'm, I'm sure he'll come on the cheap wages-wise as well. Um, <laughs> and then with Bernardo, I've seen a few things that, more recently actually, that if his if his valuation is met, we will sell him. But if it's not, then the club are happy to to keep him and let that ride out till next year. So I actually think it's more possible now, especially maybe after the Bellingham news, that they do both stay. Um, and then what that does to the plans, I'm not sure. Maybe you still do, do need to get another centre mid, but does it mean you go for a different profile, maybe slightly younger, um, less experienced? I'm not too sure, but I think it's possible. But possible, but I still probably think we will lose one of them. Mm. And they said, your thoughts? Do it's one of those things it's, we need, the club need answers very soon because mm. obviously you need to plan. I expect that they know what Ilke Gondwan's going to do. Mm. I don't think that that's a particularly well-kept secret that he wants to move. I think the thing with Gondo and the thing that we've got to be careful of is getting ourselves into a situation where we believe that Barcelona is the only show in town. Yeah. Gundo and Bi- Gundo and Bernardo Silva can play for every single top football club in Europe and get into their starting eleven, and I include Real Madrid in that. I think that they they are both of that level. So for me, I think it's highly unlikely that both of them stay. I think it's fifty fifty that one of them stays. But if I were Bagaristein and and Omar and Pep and the team, I would be planning and banking on both of them going and having the options lined up. Mm. But the hypothetical problem is that, you know, I don't know if it's true or not. You've got a player who's, I think with these players, well, it's not as if they definitely want to leave. Like, no, this is it. This is my final season. But they would definitely leave if it was, say, Barcelona, which in itself poses problems because we know how difficult it is for them to be in a position to sign them, which leads to uncertainty. So yeah, it's one of those things that needs, obviously you'd think in a sane world, there'd be lots of other clubs, you know, who would want to, to buy them. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just a no brainer, but if they've got the heart set on Barcelona, but Barcelona is still like spinning plates desperately all summer, then it just doesn't help City to be in that position. I know what you mean, but I just don't think that Gundo and Bernardo are thick like that. I think they're Mm. both pretty smart lads. And so I think they'll be wholly aware of Barcelona's financial situation. I also think that both of them, I can completely understand why both of them just fancy a new challenge, a new league, a new experience. They're both at that stage in their careers where it is maybe only one other move. Uh, maybe Bernardo's got two in him. 
Uh, and actually, I think that Bernardo is the more likely of the two to stay because he's got two years left on his contract and we will value him very highly. So it will have to be Paris Saint-Germain or Real Madrid because outside of that, I don't see anybody coming with the money. Um, whereas Gundo, I think it's a lot. I think, you know, I, I, I've read somewhere that everybody from Juventus to Bayern Munich to Real Madrid to Barcelona, um, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, all the top clubs in Europe are are really interested in Gundo. So he will he will have loads of suitors and loads of options. Mm. Um and I I almost I think and we kind of talked about this in, in some depth on on the pod earlier it's just that we need to be focused in what we need to do in terms of making the squad stronger for next season. That should be the that should be the key kind of imperative is that when we start next season the squad feels stronger than this season now me and lloyd had a really robust discussion about losing gundo and bernardo and whether it's possible to go into next season being stronger if you lose both of those players i i argued we can and lloyd argued that it'll be difficult so but that's one for for the other pod but yeah uh, in the main my focus is very much on make the squad stronger for next season and be proactive and not reactive in terms of the the players that you're bringing in we don't have to wait to sell because the squad is so small you can Mm. go and sign two players and then worry about outgoings afterwards Mm. okay well as always uh, we put a 15 minute sample uh, of our player podcasts on soundcloud but there'll be a whole 75 minutes after that that you won't get to hear it unless you if you don't subscribe so do check it out uh, sounds like a brilliant podcast look forward to listening to it later right let's look back at some actual football and george i'm gonna start with you west ham 3-0 win it was uh i say i listened to a son on the review yesterday i think uh, chris and stefan as well summed it up pretty well i was Frustrated at half time. I was never truly nervous. Uh, there's one thing that they didn't mention on the podcast. I did have a period of nerves when it was 1 0, funnily enough, because City pushed forward for a second for a bit. When we went 1 0 up, I thought, one more, this is done. But we started losing the ball a bit. West Ham started getting into the game a bit more, and I was worried at that point. So that's why I love the second goal even more than you know I should for all the other reasons that second goal is special. But I guess the starting point for this the West Ham game, the City won. They've won the two games this week. Do performance levels in league in league games at least matter by this stage? Or do you feel that the team of Pepper just actually playing this perfectly by just doing enough to win every game and getting closer to that third league title on the bounce? I think their moments matter and, and, you know, phases of the game. But I think the overall performance, if, say, it's not what, you know, that West Ham game is not going to be one for the ages. It'll be remembered for Haaland breaking the record and not loads outside of that. I think when you look back, it'll just be the three points that we desperately needed and Haaland breaking the record. So I'm not overly concerned if I see us maybe look a bit sluggish in moments, you know, with resting some key players. It was great to see some of the performance levels from, say, Ake coming straight back into the team, looking pretty solid, getting the goal and then being able to come off early. So I think we can't, you, you, you can't forget, 
you know, performance levels. But I don't think we should read too much into if there's a few moments where we look sloppy or it's a bit cagey because it's going to happen. You know, West Ham still aren't safe, so they still had did have something to play for. And we've got so much on the line, so many games coming up. It's all just about results for me at this point of the season. And then seeing those moments in games where I think, oh, that's great. We can take that into our, you know, real big games against Madrid uh, coming up. Mm. You did discuss this on the review uh, briefly. We've been, the way that played out that game, we've been there a hundred times before. Not winning at half time, stretching out in the second half and winning comfortably. I can think of loads of games. I couldn't name them, but I, I know in my muscle memory, I've been sat there at half time, a bit frustrated a thousand times. And then, of course, it was the patient version of City. But of course, recently we're used to, the league at least, and probably one of the, you know, some Champions League games, we're used to being ahead at half time uh, because we were at the weekend. We were against Southampton, I think, before that. And of course, Arsenal. Yeah, we've been getting early goals recently and it's been less stressful. Uh, this was a reverting to uh, old times. But I guess it doesn't matter at all, does it? Uh, if I guess there's two types of City now. We're, we're spoiled in a way. We want those early goals, nail the game down. But did this at any point for you feel like it was in the balance, this game? You know, did you ever think we might not win it at the end? Um. I think that that I think there's jeopardy in every game, mm. and there was jeopardy all the way until we made it two 0 That would be my take on it. I I, I kind of described it as nervy and routine because I felt <laughs> as though the first half was nervy and the second half was routine. Um, there's what maybe a fifteen minute period between the first and the second goal, um, and in that fifteen minute period, I sort of agree with you that. Mm. We did give the ball away a few times and West Ham were pushing further forward. But the big difference between this City and previous versions of City is Erling Haaland. When other teams are dominating the ball, we're probably at our most dangerous because we know that we're two passes away from Haaland running through and and, and we know that he'll finish. So it's... And maybe a year from now, that get, there won't even be a nervy version of that game just because we'll be so used to Haaland being the difference in tight games. Mm. 20 minutes between the goals. so And it yeah, it wasn't immediate. It was probably 10 of those 20 minutes where I felt they were creeping back. You know, uh, not, not under the cosh or anything like that. I just felt like they were getting it wide. They were, you know getting close to our penalty area, which is enough nowadays because we're so used to dominating to get a bit nervy. Uh, but yeah, that second goal just meant everything, meant everything. Uh, a bit surprised, George, on the review about uh, the first goal, okay. I mean, what a star this guy is, <laughs> honestly. Uh, just relentlessly good now and to get the opening goal as well is just, yeah, what more can you say? Uh, mention of a push by him, which I found... I don't know, nonsense has been a bit harsh on the reviews yesterday. I felt it was part of the kind of things that you get in a penalty area all the time when a free kick comes in. I absolutely, if it had gone the other way around, wouldn't have been calling for a foul there. Did you see that as a foul or a bit of luck for your city? I personally didn't see it as a foul. I know it's a contentious point when there's, you know, arms are on defenders' backs. Uh, and all that kind of stuff, mm. but I think it's the manner in which you do it. I think if you, you if you if you're pushing the player out of the way and then heading it, 
that's a foul. But if you just if you if their body's close to you and you're just using their body to kind of elevate yourself for the header, I don't see that as a foul, and I don't think you, you don't often see those ones given. It's I think it's only when a player's essentially shoved a defender out of out of the the flight of the ball is then you could give a foul. So I think if that had gone against us, I would have been pretty fuming. Yeah, I mean it was way before the header. I say way before. <laughs> Uh, a couple of seconds but that's a long time in a free kick routine it wasn't as they jumped for the ball together which I think yeah. would have been a very different situation altogether but hey not really that bothered so hey son <laughs> yeah go on Joe sorry no no I was just saying uh, yeah it's uh, Ake he's, he's been superb and I think that would have been a pretty grim way for that goal taken off him but um, I was glad to see him on the pitch and, and get that goal It was, uh, I think it would have meant a lot to him and instilled confidence after a few games break Asan hmm. hey, you touched on Haaland another week another record I just put on the agenda I don't sometimes I struggle to like well what what do we talk about now uh, we could go down the Jonathan Liu route and say it's all pretty boring uh, but I guess I'd rather ask the question is this just the beginning and what is his ceiling? Because the bottom line is, it is his debut season for City in the English League, and he is still a very young player. Do you see other levels to this? Can Without there be question. other levels to this? Without question. I think I think the frightening thing about Erling Haaland is that nobody's got any idea what his ceiling will be. Mm. He's improved this season as a player. He's breaking records for fun he scores scores goals for fun i I, uh yeah i I think one of the conversations me and lloyd had in the podcast this morning um was very much about me sort of going i just don't think it's possible for this city team to get worse next season because i think harland will get better the understanding between him and kdb will get better the understanding between him and grealish will get better it's it's a no-brainer that this team is only going to go in one direction. Mm. I think I mentioned on a previous po- uh, podcast, George, I think there's something that impresses even more than scoring over 50 goals, which sounds ridiculous, is his character. He really does have the, the personality of a chilled-out Sunday League footballer, but with the skill set of a generational striker. Uh, the... Guard of Honour, uh, just beating up as he ran through it at the end. Just uh, all the little clips of him uh, singing Johnny Stone's songs during games, just clearly how he's assimilated into the group. This is part of how City recruit players, but that, in a way, has blown me away. And just when I see him linked to Real Madrid, just makes me laugh rather than worry. He really is just so tilled out and focused on just, scoring goals and being part of a successful side. Yeah, he, he he's an absolute monster, isn't he? he? Can one minute he's laughing and joking and then as soon as he sniffs a goal, bam, he's 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 an absolute machine through on ruthless. Mm. And he's he loves the dark arts as well, which which I find great, you know. I've I keep seeing that clip of um and the quote from Goretzka from the Bayern game where he claims Harlan kept farting all the time there and get him on a baked beans diet now. Yeah, and Harlan just rubs his belly and it's just it's just amazing and you can tell you know, everybody in the group loves him, you know, every player, he must be a great guy to be around. And I think that helps because I think sometimes some strikers get um, you know, 
slagged off for being called being selfish and all these kind of things. And there, some strikers, other teams, it's you think it's more about them and their personal glory than the collective kind mm. of group aims. But I think everybody's bought into him in the club, which means they're more than happy for him to take more of the plaudits, and they really want to, you know, set him up and get him assist him for goals because they know that he's a great guy and if he scores a lot it more often than not means that we're going to win and win comfortably hmm. uh, sad. Phil Foden back on the pitch again uh, what do you think of his cameo bright likely. very bright very bright like seeing him playing in the eight again another conversation we had this morning feels like he's played a lot more centrally this season and hopefully that's a signpost as to the direction of travel of of his positioning for next season but this there's just i mean foden's got an unerring ability to deliver numbers so whatever amount of time he's on the pitch for he generally tends to get a goal or an assist which is just crazy um and he looks fit and he looks sharp and to be honest i was disappointed he didn't start and i'd like to think that he starts tomorrow mm. uh, obviously the goal's deflected but it's a sweet hit anyway uh any points off for the harlan goal because fabianski just feathers it and helps it on his way <laughs> no 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 okay no. just checking no just still beautiful as beautiful as ever absolutely yeah. So I was the overall performance of course, you get the three points, no one's injured that we know of. Uh George, we've touched on this already, but I do keep thinking about that leeway that we've got when we beat Arsenal. So leeway I mean we don't know what Arsenal are gonna do. They've got Newcastle away. We'll we'll finish off the podcast by having a quick uh preview of that one and what we think might happen. They've got Brighton at home after that and probably easier games thereafter. We probably have to assume you know, that they win everything if you want to do calculations now but even if they win everything we have leeway in two games but for me a month ago I would have snapped off you know I would have sold a limb just to to need to win the last two games in the last week I would have absolutely snapped your arm off for that now I absolutely want to go into that last week needing one or two points maximum so how how do you view it that we you know, the, like the Leeds game we're about to preview and of course Everton uh, next week. Do you feel now that you want to have it pretty much tied down by the end of that Chelsea game? Yeah, definitely. I think we're seeing that from Pep as well for, with his team. Um, I think, you know, Haaland playing the full match um, uh, against West Ham shows that he just doesn't want to have any doubts going into that last week, I think. It'll be another strong team Saturday, not much rotation. Even with Madrid coming up, I think he won't risk, but I don't think he'll risk somebody like De Bruyne. But I think if we can box off the, the Leeds, Everton and Chelsea, if you can win those and then you can go into that last week and if you know, you're know you up against two good sides there and if you draw one of them, it's not going to be the end of the world. And you'd rather draw them than draw against Leeds and then suddenly Arsenal get a bit giddy and they it could spur them on and put a bit of doubt into the camp, especially when we've got Champions League fixtures to think about. So yeah, I'd love it to be wrapped up in the uh, next few weeks, uh, but we will need um, Arsenal's um, counterparts, uh, Newcastle and uh, Brighton uh, to do us a favour, I think. Hmm. Hey Sam, probably asking you a really stupid question. This is far from over yet, but 
honestly, did you see us being in this position even like a month ago? Yeah, I was one of the more... Um, I felt that that run of fixtures for Arsenal would be massively decisive and I didn't think that they'd win all of them. Um, and I also had the feeling that when they rocked, they would rock for a few games. So I always felt there was... Uh, I always said, we need to win all our games all the way up to Arsenal and then beat Arsenal. And then from there, it's game on. And for me, that's exactly what happened. That we got there and we beat Arsenal. And from there on out, they began to rock and that was it. And now we have control. We do. Uh, are you are you the same in thinking that you'd, you'd want to go into that last week needing one win at the most? Or do you think we should be in that position now, to be honest? We? I think we will be. Yeah. I, I, I do have the sense, for example, I think Newcastle beat Arsenal on Sunday because I think that Newcastle can defend really well and I think that they cause a serious problem going the other way on the counter-attack and that's what Arsenal are susceptible to. So if every if everybody goes to their form, then I expect Newcastle to win what will be a pretty high-scoring game. Uh, and I think that that defeat, it's particularly, obviously, I, I feel that we beat Leeds on Saturday. But if we beat Leeds on Saturday and Arsenal lose to Newcastle on Sunday, I think then their heads will really go down. Fair enough. Should we preview Saturday's match then? Yes. Yes. Big Sam's back. <laughs> George, I'm going to start with you. 3pm Saturday on the TV. Bit strange, but there you go. Sam Allardyce got the role at Leeds. On a huge bonus, of course, if he keeps them up. Uh, what do you make of this appointment? It's a... Um, it, it just shows what happens uh, when a, a club is ran poorly and... Um, with just complete disorganisation. Um, you know, it's funny the character of Big Sam coming back into the Premier League and he and he brings a lot with that, but the fact that Leeds have gone from uh, Bielsa to Allardyce in such a short span of time and the methodology and ideology of those two managers couldn't be mm. further apart. So... It just, I do feel sorry for Leeds fans because they must be wondering what direction the club are going. And, you know, if he if he keeps them up, then where do they go from there? Do, will he be kept around? Um, will, is it just um, to see if he can do a job to the end of the season? I, I don't know. But he, it's funny to have the character back. But um, I think if they go down with after appointing him, the Leeds fans will we will be feeling really, really low and understandably so. Yeah. Uh, hey, Sam, picking himself up in the press conference, is that delusion or deflection? Allardyce has always been a master PR merchant. I think that's the first thing. Um, and I think the second thing is that he he's a fella who likes to get paid and <laughs> he'll get paid whether they get relegated or they stay up. And so that's probably why he's taking the job because it's a Premier League job. I've seen a lot of kind of, oh, Big Sam is back. Oh, no. Like the guy's, the guy's a dinosaur and a clown and completely irrelevant to modern football. And 
the fact that he's got this job is not a reflection on his ability. It's a reflection on the state that leads find themselves in the panic that they find themselves in and the lack of joined up thinking at the top of that football club, because ultimately Victor Orta, who was the sporting director was central to the entire Bielsa project, their promotion and their survival. Um, he's obviously appointed a bad coach in Javi Grazia, um, but getting rid of him as well and just bringing Big Sam in, well, uh, yeah, no. Right, that, that's Very nuanced one, because I listened to a Leeds United podcast earlier this week after Bournemouth, they went, we're down, it's done, we're going down. Yeah. Just for Leeds themselves, is it, I know I don't disagree with anything you say, like his last job was West Brom two years ago, he's essentially retired, and I assume they went down, didn't they, two years ago. Just for Leeds, though, in this little, you know, tiny two-month period, is it better for them, do you think, to have sacked to Grazia and got him in? Or do you think, actually, it makes no difference? Well, I have no idea because I don't have a crystal mm. ball, but my gut feeling is that it makes absolute, it makes no difference whatsoever unless their plan is that Fat Sam is the guy that gets them out of the championship next season. And if that's their plan for next season, well, they're off to another decade of irrelevance and mediocrity in the championship and below. So good luck to them. I just think it's, I just think it's really poor by the ownership of Leeds. And I don't mean, I, I can understand getting rid of Grazia. I can even understand to, to a point going, well, you're the sporting director. We, it looks like we're going to get relegated. You're carrying the can for this. You bought a lot of players that haven't made the impact that we wanted them to make. I'm even okay with that. But this kind of swinging from one extreme to the other that clubs do in an, in an attempt for survival is absolutely the wrong thing to do. In my opinion, it just isn't, it's like the, so it, there, there's a really interesting conversation going on right now about Roy Hodgson. And it's why I was like, that's a terrible idea. And the reason it's a terrible idea is because, all right, fine. Let's just say that Hodgie wins four games, which he's done. what do you do next? Now the clamor to give him the job permanently is is clear and it's there and it sounds like it's going to happen. But come the start of next season, it's still going to be the same Roy Hodgson that nearly got him relegated two years ago. It's going to be the same Roy Hodgson that they felt was just not interesting enough and exciting enough and didn't bring the right brand of football. And can he really attract the players and can he coach? It just, it's 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 a for me it's reverting to a kind of historic mediocrity that is just not the solution in an incredibly competitive premier league i, I thought the same when sean dice was appointed at everton yep because i think he was brilliant for burnley you know he was brilliant for burnley but you're everton and yeah you've not had success but if you've got him in to stay up then what do you do after that do you then have five years of Sean Dyche football? You know, it was brilliant for Burnley, but is that what Everton fans want playing-wise? You know, if it's successful, maybe they take it. But he's not really guaranteeing you he's going to move you up and get you into European football. But yeah, it's the... I mean, interim managers are being sacked now because <laughs> the desperation to not get relegated and the money that loses you is... Yeah, the desperation is clear, is it not? So... Uh, George, in relation to City themselves, do you feel Allardyce's appointment is problematic for the game on Saturday? I.e., 
a million buses parked in front of a, a goal net. Yeah, he's obviously going to be majorly defensive against us. But I, I look at I look at the players for Leeds, and I think okay, Aladas has a clear ethos, but do, does he does he have the players to execute it? I mean, they've yep. they've been recruiting the last mm. few years a lot of very technically good footballers who play in fluid systems, passing and moving. Um, you know, you look at the likes of Harrison, Rocker, Tyler Adams, Nonto, Aronson. Um, they're all really good footballers, but are they going to be playing, you know, all sitting behind the ball, long ball up to the big man, which I guess could only be Bamford? Mm. And he's not exactly the biggest of big men, is he? So um, I'm, I am worried just because of the, you know, the narrative and if, you know, the 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 story writers, as people call them, could cook something up and uh, it would be <laughs> great for the papers and everything if Allardyce uh, takes some points off City. But when you get into the nitty gritty of it, we, we have to be doing the business against them. Mm. Hey, Sam, what, what about you? They do have, I agree, they have... Like it's like West Ham, Johnny. They've got great players. Uh, maybe three of their best players will mysteriously have a virus as well this weekend, but I doubt that very much because they'll be looking because their fixture list. I guess they're all they can all be considered difficult. So there's no reason, obviously, for a new manager to come in and uh, and prioritise games. They'll just need to win one or two somewhere along the line. Uh, they do have good players when you look at that squad who have been underperforming big time. And I guess it all stems from them being utterly incapable. And I guess that goes all the way back into Bielsa's reign. And he left in February 22, so yeah, 15 months ago. They, they're they not used to playing this way, are they? Do you think Allardyce is going to take that into account are you expecting some sort of frustration on Saturday afternoon because they won't want to engage or play against City um, I don't, I'm not really sure what you've asked me there <laughs> to be honest with you um, do I think that the players will like Allardyce ball no do I think that Allardyce has got the players to play Allardyce ball no do I think that he's got the time to teach the players that are there to play in the way that he wants them to play? No. Do I think he can get buy-in from those players? Well, insofar as they all probably want to still be Premier League players next season, they will all give their all. But beyond that, no. I don't want to be too dismissive, but they were relegation-threatened and leaking goals for fun and appalling before Fatsan. So notionally, the idea that Fatsan comes in and first game arrests that slide feels wildly, wildly optimistic to me. I see that he's given a press conference today and he's more or less said that uh, the keeper gets dropped. He said that's the biggest decision he's got to make. So I presume that whoever their other goalkeeper is will be the goalkeeper tomorrow. It just, it doesn't bode well. It, it, it strikes me that they're getting relegated now. Okay, uh, let's talk City then. George, Asan, both of you. You said earlier, George, not too much rotation. Uh, what sort of team are we looking at here? Do you have one in mind? I guess the opening question is, well, there's two opening questions really for you. Uh, 
Edison, of course, was rotated against West Ham, which I do think was rather weird. Uh, is Are you assuming he just comes back into the side this weekend? And secondly, is it too early for Kevin De Bruyne? Yeah, I, I, I am kind of intrigued by the Edison thing. I, I think he will. Uh, when he when he when I when I saw the team when I was on the way to the ground on Wednesday and saw Ortega, I, I just automatically assumed he had a stomach bug or you know mm. something like that that was was keeping him out of the side. Uh, then you see he's on the bench and then the Pepco saying, "Oh, he needs to be um, he needed the rest," you know, mentally almost saying that he he needed the rest. I don't know if that was some kind of reaction to the incident in the Fulham match where he nearly gave the goal away and yeah, ended up tackling with it. Yeah, exactly. That's that's him and it's, that's his DNA and it's not going to change massively. So I think that's something definitely to watch because then if Ortega does play, then you're going into Tuesday where you Edison, your starting keeper, has not played for a, a week or so and doesn't have the match sharpness mm. that Ortega would. So that that would be very interesting. It's probably something to discuss after we see the team Saturday. But I do assume Edison will come back in. And yeah, I I would I wouldn't risk uh, KDB uh, on Saturday. We should have more than enough firepower. It would be good if he's fit to be on the bench and maybe maybe come on for you know fifteen minutes just to get in his legs a bit. Um, but uh, I I see Alvarez starting again, um, and hopefully I would like to see Phil start. But I've been saying that for a bit because I think Grealish has played a lot of football recently, and we need him to be a bit rested for Tuesday as well. So, yeah, that's what I want to see. Hey, Sam, what about you? Is there anyone you expect or want to be rested in this game? You think Pep will be thinking about Tuesday already now? I think we. I, I'd like to see some rotation. I've got a team in my head. Walker, Diaz, Laporte, Ake, Phillips, Gundo, Foden, Mares, Grealish, Alvarez. No, sorry, can't do that, Haaland. Just can't do that, Haaland. So, yeah, so Haaland. Basically, I think Phil should come in for Alvarez. Um... And I think that Laporte should come in and Walker should play again with one eye on the idea that come uh, Tuesday against Madrid, it's a Kanji, Diaz, Stones, Ake, Rodri, Gundo, uh, KDB, Bernardo, Grealish, Haaland. So no, you wouldn't have Walker against Madrid? No. The Vinicius Jr. threat, you're not worried about that? It's not that. I just, I don't want us to play. Uh, Walker's come in and, and most of the time when Walker's come in, we've played some version of a flat back four or with mm. uh, four backs who have been higher and wider. And that's not the way that I want to play against Real Madrid. I want to go back to the three and the two. So I want to see, yeah, I, I don't want to see Walker in that team. Okay. Well, that's for another time anyway, for a preview of whether that's problematic against Vinicius. Uh, but you also mentioned Phillips. Do you think Pep would honestly pick him? Fuck no. <laughs> I'm being <laughs> optimistic for the lad. That was your pick. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's my pick because I want Rodri to have a rest. I also want Phillips to be sold in the summer and for us to buy somebody who the manager actually trusts. Mm. Okay. George, what about you? I don't see him being picked at all. Uh, someone like 
I'm not saying in his position, but Gundogan, of course, didn't start, did he join the week either? Could come in. He could play that deeper position. Who knows? Uh, have you got a team in mind? Yeah, I, I, I can't see Phillips starting. Um, like you say, he, if he was going to be trusted, he, he would have done so before this game. Um, I think, like you say, Gundo probably... If, if, if he is going to rotate Rodri out, I think it will be Gundo. Um, coming in um, to play 60-70 minutes because if Allardyce plays like we expect him to there's going to be not need for somebody with maybe the more defensive mind of Rodri and you can just have somebody else on the ball if we're going to be having to be probing on the edge of the Leeds box for uh, most of the game but yeah I, I think it'll probably be uh, Diaz Akanji Ake Walker, Gundo, Bernardo, Foden, then Haaland, Grealish, Mares, but then there's no Alvarez there, so <laughs> I, I think I think he will continue playing Alvarez. So maybe maybe no maybe no Phil and or Phil on the left and yeah Alvarez behind Haaland again. I think yeah. That'll be probably be the call. Hey, Sam, what's your views on Mahrez in the last few matches? Do you feel he's not been at his peak that he was after the World Cup? Uh, yeah. No, he's not been great. Do you think he's, he might fall? I mean, he's been a Champions League regular in the past, but I don't envisage starting against Madrid. And I guess this is a game where he could drop to the bench as well. Yeah. I think so. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult one. It's 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 really hard to know what direction you go in um, on Saturday without knowing what direction you want to go on Tuesday. Mm. I think as much as Pep says it's a game at a time, I think Saturday is one of those moments where it really isn't a game at a time. It's two games together, Leeds and Real Madrid, and you have to make decisions about Leeds based on what you want to do at Madrid. So everybody who definitely isn't starting in Madrid should be starting in uh, should be starting against Leeds. So that's why I put Laporte in. That's why for me Walker doesn't start in Madrid, so he starts. Uh, I'd start Mares because I think it's really unlikely that he starts against Madrid. And same with Foden, I'd start him because I think it's unlikely that he starts against Madrid. Um, the Alvarez uh, Foden chat is an interesting one. Can I be a bit controversial, Howard? Uh, yeah, go on then. I'll let it, I'll let it slide. I don't think that Alvarez was very good against West Ham. Oh, yeah. No, no. Well, I would say he wasn't first half, and I think he improved a bit second half because he did a bit more running, basically. So. He did, but it's it's something that... <clears throat> It's something that I wanted to say after last weekend as well, um, and that is that I, I understand why everybody loves Alvarez, uh, but... If you remove your kind of, if you just look at the games objectively, when we play in that 4-4-2, we just have less control of the game of football. We had less control against Fulham and we had less control against West Ham. And what I mean by control, I mean control in the build-up. I mean, how do we keep the ball? How do we pass the ball? What areas do we move the ball into and when do we move it into those areas? We just don't have that as well when Alvarez starts. I th and I think that 
it's something that I don't know if I love. Like I, 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 I swing from I love the eye catching nature of four four two. I love the I love the way that it works. I can see why in games it's really effective, and I love Alvarez. But when we get to this kind of when you begin to think about the broader picture and what a city good at and what should we be careful about? Well, I think that what we're really good at is keeping the football mm. and having loads of technically really gifted, effectively midfielders who control the football. Mm. So that's for me, that should always be our starting point. And that's why I kind of look at tomorrow and I go, well, Alvarez just had two games back to back and he was he scored a world-class goal and was fantastic in one and he did all right in the other one um but somehow he start against madrid will he so he's he could say he'd start this yes true but i don't think foden will start against madrid either mm. and i know that harland will definitely start against madrid uh, madrid so that's why my gut feeling is that it's one of harland or alvarez and you put foden in the team yeah no, I'll just, just add on to that, and maybe George want, could come out as well, is that, well, so I wouldn't disagree with that. Against Fulham and West Ham, even though it was nervy at times, they both teams didn't really create against us. So there was a bowing, there was a form of throwing really, wasn't it, in the first half. And it wasn't a shot as such. He was trying to cross it uh, to a guy in the middle. And of course, they had a, a chance late on when it's 3-0, but we all know City turn off at 3-0 anyway, uh, into cruise control. And Fulham didn't... I think we had one shot on target, the goal. So it's a system that, yeah, it, it doesn't always work perfectly, but it hasn't made us pause at the back. So I was going to ask either of you that Pep might still persist with 4-4-2 in the league at least for the next few games because it's good enough for what we need to now tie uh, down the, the title. Does that make sense to you? Because I, I couldn't see that. Obviously, four four two is not going to happen in the Champions League, is it? But I could still see Pep persisting with it in league games because there'd yeah. be some solidity there. Yeah, I, th- I think he will persist for a bit, especially with De Bruyne out of the side. And I think it is four four two sometimes. But when the system, when we're set up and it's more kind of the four two three one with Alvarez behind Haaland, I do prefer that a lot when he's joining him kind of stood next to him sometimes like De Bruyne does when he's playing in that more advanced role um, yeah I agree Alvarez maybe we lose a bit of the control but I think what he does give you is he can operate in the tight spaces he he can keep hold of the ball and retain the ball very well and I think against these teams which have the low block I think when you don't have De Bruyne playing and his long shot threat. I think he, Pep likes Alvarez for that reason as well. Mm. He, he he has the long shots and you do, I know we it's not our ideal way of playing football under Pep long shots. We like to create, move the ball, pass short passes and pull back goal or through balls. That's what Pep would ideally like. But against some of these teams, you, you need to have that ability to score a long ranger. And Alvarez gives us that better than anybody else outside of De Bruyne I think Foden obviously has it in his in his locker but we just haven't seen Pep start Foden in that role enough for me to think that he'll do it against Leeds I think if Foden starts 
I think it will, from the beginning, I think it will be left wing. But if he was, I could see him coming on if we were winning in that role, um, just the way Pep's operated the last the last few years. Joe, just to stay with you, uh, uh, begin to wrap up and ask for score prediction in a minute about that defensive midfield role. Uh, if it is just back to the wall from Leeds, they do have a threat on the counter-attack. They do have speed there. And Nonto did actually start for once recently, and I assume he will at the weekend. A bit baffled as to why he hasn't started more. But there are good players and there is pace in that side. So we'll be looking at the counter-attack with pace. Is it thus that as important as ever that Rod, someone like Rodri, who knows the role, does play in this game. Because, yeah. you know, you could, there is an argument, oh, you can put Phillips in because it'll just be them defending all the time. But we have to take account of that the transitions and the counter-attacking threat, don't we? Yeah, if they've got Nonto and Harrison, both pretty quick, both good with the ball at the feet, can move up the pitch in, in a few seconds. So I think this is where we are seeing the the real not blunder I don't want to call it signing Phillips I don't think it was a blunder but we are it is a, it is a problematic at this point of the season that Rod, Rodri does not have a, a deputy that Pep trusts and if Rodri does start against Leeds and you know has a bit to do and then looks knacking in Real Madrid in the first leg it, it, it that will come back to bite us so I think. An argument could be made for Rodri to start, but I would like to see him rested and Gundo start in that role. But yeah, I do take your point. I think we do have to be aware of them on the breaks. They have got some good techni- technical players. Hey, mm. Sam, final question. Do you see this playing out pretty much like the West Ham game? Chip, chip, chip away. I think it's important that we remain calm and don't get nervy. Uh, and that includes the home crowd. Uh, and yeah, then I think that we will eventually break them down. I think I'd be more concerned if it was an away game. I think the fact that it's leads at home, more or less, we know what, what they're going to do. We know that it's going to be 10 in the box. We know that we're going to have to be patient in moments and take our chances when they come. But we also know that we have Erling Haaland. So I feel pretty good. Mm. 7-0 last time. What's your score prediction? 4-0. 4-0. Okay, George? Uh, I'm going to go um, 2-0. Okay, I'm going to... Right, I'll split it with 3-1 then. So, <laughs> but Any three points, yeah, that'll do me. And please, no injuries. That'll be great. So, Right, well, just one thing left before we wrap up. It is, touched on it, it is another big game that's relevant to us on Sunday afternoon. I think it's half four. Uh, it's Newcastle against Arsenal. Aysan, you've already said you think Newcastle are going to win this one. Yes, yes, mm. I do. I have, I have, I have big faith in the momentum that that Eddie Howe's generated there. I have big faith that um, Arsenal will bottle uh, the St James's Park atmosphere. I have big faith that it will feel like a cup final for for the St. James's Park crowd and it'll feel like a cup final for the Newcastle players. Eddie Howe will be telling them, beat these and you are absolutely locked to play Champions League football next season. Um, and I just think Arsenal won't be able to handle the physicality and the, 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 the darker side of Newcastle's game. Okay. Uh, George, are you watching it? Do you share that faith that Newcastle 
uh, can do a job here. I do, I do. I think Newcastle had that blip, didn't they, uh, uh, a couple of months ago? And I thought, oh, wow, they've, they're going to make it difficult for themselves now to get the Champions League. And then the run they've been on since has been absolutely outrageous. I think at the start of the season, they were getting their only criticism was um, not scoring enough goals, and they've definitely addressed that. Um, Wilson scores every time he steps onto the pitch at the moment. Isak's a proper threat, and I think all the momentum is with them. And as Asan said, Eddie Howe will just be going like win this, and you get in Champions League football, and what that's going to do for those players uh, and their careers. You know, obviously they've signed some big signings. Isak, he came probably with that in mind. But the likes of um, Joe Linton um, and Longstaff, Dan Byrne, th- these guys probably a few years ago never, probably never thought they were going to play Champions League football. Mm. So that with that opportunity presented it themselves, and the fact that Arsenal have the Champions League place tied up already and are clinging on to the title race, I think everything puts it in Newcastle's favour. Although you can't rule this Arsenal team out because they've got a lot of great players and they have the ability to win win this kind of game. But I do think the atmosphere will be too much for them in the occasion and this could be the the, the final nail in, in their coffin, fingers crossed. Do you, th- do you think Chelsea gave them a, a boost back for the confidence or were Chelsea just so pitiful that it doesn't really matter? I think Chelsea is so bad and they're in such disarray that you can't read too much into that because I think if you put a, an 11 together of the 9320 um, podcast team, I think we would do a job on Chelsea <laughs> at the moment. Um, they are, they are in such a bad state. Um, that no, I, I don't, I didn't read, I didn't even watch it. I just thought it's, it's an, it's a non-event. So I think these two games for Arsenal are the important ones. If they can beat Newcastle and Brighton, then I think it'll get nervy again because they'll have shown that they are who, who they think they are. Mm. Um, but no. I didn't. I didn't read too much into the Chelsea team. Chelsea you result. You haven't met the ninety three twenty team, have you? So. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, put, we, we could get a draw at Chelsea, perhaps, maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah, Gabriel's got a knock, but it looks like he'll, you know, which is more trouble for them. But I think he might be fit for the game, so we will see. Right, I think that's everything. Uh, hey, Sam. Yeah, anything else you want to discuss, or should I wrap it up? No, you can wrap it up. Brilliant. Right, thank you very much for coming on. I know you've had. A day of talking football. So you go and relax I'm done. now. Yeah, I'm 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 done now. I'm I'm going to go and have some lunch and lean into the weekend. Brilliant, uh, George. Thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. No cheers. Thanks for having me, guys. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. That's a wrap. Uh, we're all off to slip a brown envelope through Big Sam's letterbox to persuade him to throw tomorrow's game. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. And as always, a son. Up the blues. <laughs>